Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. I think you know where to turn. We're going to be in Zephaniah chapter 3. We're going to be finishing uh, this prophet today. And uh, Lord willing, next time I come behind the pulpit, we'll be starting in Leviticus. That's a joke. We're not going to do that. We're going to be in the New Testament next time I'm in the pulpit. Um, Zephaniah chapter 3, starting in verse 14. I've been really encouraged as I've been preparing for this sermon. As you all know, Greg has a background in music. He's instructed that. I know he's been passionate about this. And Chris has also expressed um, a love for a particular verse in this chapter. And uh, that last song you sang, Chris, really welcomed us into this book, I feel. Um, that, that waiting, that longing for him, us being satisfied in our God. Oh, what a beautiful way um, to prepare me to preach this. So I'm trying to ramble while you're going through finding Zephaniah. That's as long as I can ramble. Zephaniah chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. In that day it will be said of Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hand fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feasts. They came from you, O Zion. The reproach of exile is a burden on them. Behold, I am going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in, even at the time when I gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. What a beautiful song to end a book. What an encouraging message to hear off the lips of the prophet and from the heart of our God. We feel this sweetness because we've traveled through this entire book where we have seen there have been woes pronounced. And judgments that have been made. In this passage, we're introduced to some commands in verse 14. But before we even dive into those, I want us to rethink about some of the commandments, some of the imperatives this prophet has previously told us. Yahweh has told the nation to be silent in chapter 1, verse 7, as he is to scold them and rebuke them for their idolatry. He then later tells them to wail to sob, and to mourn. 
because of their sin. And then he encourages them to gather like chaff. And those who seek him in humility and those who hunger for righteousness, maybe they will be spared in the day of the Lord. That will happen. In this day of the Lord that Zephaniah speaks about, he is very clear. Some of the righteous will enter into it. It's by divine providence and great grace. Maybe some will not be carried away. But the masses will experience this judgment and this wrath that comes from God himself. Last week I mentioned the I will statements. Twelve of those between chapter 1 and 2 and a little bit of 3 were I will bring judgment. Remember I encourage you to think about comparing your life with those who do not know God. We sometimes think it's coincidence or it's just a mishaps or it's bad juju, whatever you want to call it, that an unbeliever might experience bad misfortune. And I want to encourage you instead to realize that, no, God intentionally brings oppression. God intentionally brings judgment and shame to those that do not follow him. What we find in chapter 3 is a lot more I will statements. We have nine I will statements that deal with God's salvation. That means you don't save yourself. God's sovereignty is, is drenched in this chapter. Who's going to save you? Who's going to rescue? It is a gracious and loving God who sings to us. Amen. We also find in verse 17, that's where my goosebumps begin, the third person, then he will. So we have another 12 will statements of how God is going to bless and rescue and secure his people. Men and women of God, you might not have all the tools to rescue yourself, but God is among you. It's he that will deliver you. You might be thinking, I can't rescue myself from this situation and I don't understand it. Let, let me encourage you, when you don't know what to do, just know God. You don't need to know all the details about your problems. You don't need to understand all the circumstances, all the intents of those that are against you. Know God. Rest in him. Enjoy him. And the other things will be sorted. Don't be absent-minded. Don't go to the other extreme, but be balanced. Let me challenge you. I, I feel like I need to be more challenged to know God when I am in trial than more about the situation. Does anyone else resonate with that? Th that's me. When there's a problem, when there's an issue, when there's an insecurity, maybe I should incline myself more to pursue God instead of fix and manage things. So he has told them previously, I believe he leads them in somewhat of a dirge in chapter 1 to, to be silent and then to wail on cue. But in verse 14, we see the king's joyful song of salvation. Imagine being guided into a kingdom where the sovereign is before you and he greets you with a song. You have come from exile. You've come as a slave, as a refugee, with no home. And you are welcomed by your creator, your father, your God. And he sings and he welcomes you. This has reminded me a lot about the prodigal son. Remember, the father is outside with his eye looking. 
wondering when and if that son will return. And then the king doesn't say, tell him where I'm at. The king runs. The father runs towards his son. He clothes him. He provides the calf for him. He loves on him. He celebrates. He invites others to celebrate. I see very much God acting as that father in that parable. Well, God is a God that gives commands. And we see some commands in verse 14. The first is to sing or shout for joy. It's not obey these laws and these decrees and do this and here's the consequence. The first command sung to them is to take part in this singing and to rejoice, to marvel at this salvation. Some from the other side of Ethiopia have been brought back. We see another command. That is for them to shout. This shout is a type of verb that would be used in the battlefield. That shout of victory, that celebration. The enemy has been conquered. Victory is upon us. So now the second command for us to do is shout, God has had victory. No, no one can hold him back. He has done what he said he will do and he will not be shaken. Shout that victory. And then he says, now NASB, ESV, NIV, they're great translations. I'm not downing any of them. They have different words to describe these commands. So it might not follow parallel with your Bible, okay? But the, the third command I see is for them to rejoice. Not only do they sing, not only do they cry out that God has had victory, but now they are instructed to rejoice and to celebrate. I want to be in that kingdom. That's the land that I want to be well established in. Where there is joy, not just a somberness about God's sovereign over all things, but he is sovereign in all things and therefore we are excited about it. It is good because he is righteous and he is loving and he has offered forgiveness to those that were far off in needs of repentance, in needs of reconciliation. So we have a reason to rejoice. And then we have to exalt or to be glad. There's some dovetailing that's going on there. And when I think about this song that's being shouted out, it reminds me of our salvation again and the challenge for us to be a joyful people. For those of us that are in our salvation and it's just kind of willy-nilly, it's vanilla, we need to rethink about what God did in saving us. The gospel is good news. It's exciting news. It's something we don't graduate. We want to keep hearing. It it puts goosebumps down our arm. It makes us want to share our testimony once again. It makes us want to repeat over and over and over again that one Bible verse that just opened up a world to you. It wants you to tell people that, no, I have been changed. This isn't just some, some movement I'm a part of, but a transformation. You take joy and comfort in what God has accomplished. Our salvation is an experience of joy. 
So I got to sit in Josh's Sunday school today. It was fun. It was the first one. Um, and we're going through, he is going through, not we're, he's going through the Westminster Catechism with the youth. That's awesome, by the way. You want your kids to be in youth if, if that's what you get to go through. And it talks about the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Part of salvation is glorifying God and praising him. And another part of it is enjoying him. We're going to be welcomed into a kingdom where we get to enjoy God. Conversion, salvation is not just a journey where you think, I messed up again and I I disappointed him. Salvation in God should welcome us to enjoy God. If you're in it just to earn heaven, it's like I've said before, flying to Hawaii because they, they give you peanuts on the flight. I got my peanuts. I'm so happy I'm on this trip to Hawaii. No, the new heavens and the new earth, they offer more than heaven. They bestow before you your God. And we will get to enjoy him in a way that is beautiful and is beyond bliss. So he sings to them these commands. Now, why do we rejoice? I've spoken about reasons why we should rejoice, but let's ask Zephaniah. God is saying that we are to shout for joy and to rejoice and to exalt him. What's the reason for this? And I think that's in verse 15. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. This book was written because God was pronouncing judgments upon them. They've taken refuge in their own strength or other nations. They followed the religious practices of cults around them. They have oppressed the people, the kings, the princes, the judges. But they are to rejoice because the Lord is forgiving. Now, we live in a day and age where we're told to forgive ourselves. That makes me turn. Um, I'm very impatient. And I don't know emotionally what I'm supposed to do with that term. I don't like it. But we do a lot of things to, to help love ourselves or to better forgive ourselves. How much more important it is that God forgives sinners than you feel better about yourself? T- to know that it has been paid for by the God-man on the cross, who defeated death. That's a true confidence. That is a true joy. Another reason why we are to rejoice is he has cleared away their enemies. Those nations that have taunted them, that have pulled them from their homes, that have enjoyed their vineyards and their houses and taken away their gold and their silver, the Lord is now going to trample them. And the Lord used them. Remember in chapter 2? He says, I'm going to use these nations as a judgment upon you. They're not righteous in and of themselves, and they don't recognize that it's my hand, and they don't bow the knee to me, so they will be for that 
judged. I don't know if any of you right now are so critical, you're thinking, how is that fair? That can be a discussion outside of the sanctuary, because that, that's, a, that's a long discussion that a half-hour sermon can't cover today. Let's just say this, God is just, and whatever he does is right. But these enemies will be removed. And I want to say, in a very real way, we still have enemies against the faith. Very subtle ones, as well as very visible ones. Martyrdom has not stopped. Last week, we spoke about pregnant, the pregnancy resource in Walton County. They, the, Planned Parenthood is a visible, very real enemy. Satan hates babies. Satan hates homes. Satan hates these small communities that are image bearers of God. It's a very real enemy. Another reason why we rejoice, the king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. He's no longer a shadow. There's no longer a veil for us that are in Christ Jesus. His very spirit dwells within us. Again, stealing from Sunday school in Josh's time, we're sharing about favorite Bible verses. Mine come from Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. This is our greatest joy. God now will dwell among us. And we see this in Christ as he tabernacled among us. As he walked with us. As he lived with us. As he cared for us. As he ministered. And as he died and resurrected for us. And how he is preparing this place now for his return. God is not remaining far off. If I were a sovereign king and I saw myself, I don't know if I'd be so excited about visiting Daniel Stephen Lawson. My level of influence, my lack of talent, education, credentials. But he seeks to dwell among them. This king seeks to be among his servants and love them. Another reason why they sing and rejoice, they will fear disaster no more. ESV does well, speaking of there will be sin no more. Imagine living in a land where you don't have to juggle your ill intentions where you're not distracted with jealousy, where you're not left vulnerable sharing with loved one or neighbor your heart or your thoughts because all is pure, where you're not nervous when you pick up a phone to hear what the doctor's office says, where you're not embarrassed because you need to ask for help one more time. All these things are gone. All these embarrassments are washed clean. There is no disaster among them. Now, that's a big promise to make. It sounds really beautiful right now, possibly, because I'm, I'm preaching it for you. But, but imagine hearing these words and being scared and terrified. Are you saying this is all to pass? Our enemies are still before us. We don't see this kingdom. We don't see it, it, it shining on the other side of the hills. 
Are you going to deliver on these promises? I'm like that with God. God makes profound, gutsy promises, at least gutsy from my perspective, because of my limited power and resources. He says things in this book that make me, that challenge me to trust him. So he comforts them in verse 16. He says, in that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, do not be afraid, O Zion. You might be scared. It might seem far-fetched. And in fact, he says in verse 20, I'm going to do this before your eyes, outside of your own power. That's, that's scary. Use some of my power. Make it, make it tangible. Let's remove some of that faith and make it a little more works-based. Because I, I understand, I live in that world. The, the world we live in is, is works-based. You work hard, you, you get a reward. You're, you're honest, you're, you're upright, it's acknowledged, and there's some payout. He tells Zion not to be afraid. Saints, we need to hear that often. We fall. We, we have a hope for things not yet fully seen. I want you to hold on to that verse and to that command. Do not be afraid and realize you're not alone in your fear. He says, do not let your hands fall limp. That's an idiom in Hebrew. It, it's meaning hold on to your strength. Do not grow weary. Have confidence in what has been said. Now he's going to give us some assurance on this in verse 17. He's going to bless us with his sovereignty. How can we know this is going to happen? How can we go forward and rejoice and sing with you? So the assurance comes, the Lord your God is in your midst. Again, I am to be before you and with you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He declares himself to be a victorious warrior, and it says he will exalt over you with joy. It goes to the third person here. Speaking of his sovereignty, why, why are we to believe these things? Because God delights in you. I hope that encourages you and that excites you. Your God delights in you, beloved. He sees you as a child. I hear, I hear that being a grandparent is, is even better. I'm not there yet. I have... A couple more years, but when grandparents see grandkids, it's just pure bliss from what I hear. Um, that might, I, I'm not going to ask if that's true or not. That's what I hear. I don't want to hear someone say, no, pastor. Why do you receive comfort? Because he loves you. He, he, he has joy in bringing these servants into his kingdom. He loves his house to be full. Another comfort, assurance he gives us in verse 17. He will be quiet in his love. This is difficult to translate in the Hebrew. 
And, and there's a lot of different interpretive possibilities here. There's about five that I came across and came across in my study. And let's make it simple for today. I think what's being said here is internally, when God looks upon you, he quietly reflects inwardly and cherishes you. You've done that with a loved one, you just sit back. You gaze upon them and you feel that warmth. He, he must be that way. Because why else would he save us? So, so if he is that way, beloved, let us do the same. Let us cherish our Christ and look upon him with such warm affection to gaze into his eyes, to long to see him, to feel welcomed by him. Then it says, he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. This quiet cherishing does not remain long. He then audibly celebrates and rejoices. Have you ever been to a graduation ceremony where some strict person says, please hold applause till the end of this service? I hate that. And depending on who I am at with company, sometimes I obey that rule and sometimes I don't. But imagine that person isn't there and as the kingdom door is opened, you hear your God shout, come on in. The time has now come and is being fulfilled. My loved, my chosen one, my cherished Come to your Father. Come to your Savior now. We are to rejoice. We are to celebrate, even dance. What a God filled with emotion, filled with passion. I want us to be that way. Now, if you see me worshiping on Sunday, the most I get is this way, okay? This is not the new heavens, new earth. This is a real big stretch for me. Um, and if I could be a little, I don't like that I'm on Facebook, but I'll share this. So I was in a metal band when I was a kid, all right? And the way they express themselves is just not appropriate. And, and my body is way too old to try and mimic that stuff, okay? So I stay here. This is safe for Daniel Stephen Lawson, Okay? But we're all going to just be leaping for joy when he's there, when he saves us fully. And then he says in verse 18, a restoration that takes place between 18 and 20. This is the issue. They're, They're broken. They're not whole. They're needing that deliverance. They are in pain and agony and fear now. So after providing for them assurance, he's going to tell them what will be fixed. Again, I would encourage you to underline these I wills. I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feasts. There are those now that long to worship God, to do rightly, 
to enjoy in the ceremonies that elevate their God. And he will gather those righteous. He mentions they came from Zion and they were approached. And that there is a burden on these people because they were unfaithful. But in verse 19 he says, Behold, I will deal at that time with all your oppressors. What's holding in suspense, he's saying, is definite. That threat, he sees and he notices. Your wrestlings and your struggles, God is very well aware of. He didn't have an uh-oh moment like you did when you came to the place where you are now. Or the place you are going to. He knew it beforehand. He knew all surrounding circumstances. And he has something he is to accomplish through that. So lean on him. All things will be set in its proper place. He mentions that he will also save the lame and gather the outcast. This king isn't someone to just gaze by the weak and the needy. We think maybe possibly because we can walk. That we're of something. Because we have strength, we are of something. Because we can sustain ourselves without asking for a handout, we are something. All of us are in need before our God. And he assures them he is a king that will save the lame. And those who feel like they do not belong. Those who feel like an outcast. And I want to challenge us here with something WCC. We should be the most welcoming people. We should not be the church that, well, if you fit in with this doctrine or you fill in with this economic background or, or whatever category you might want to dissect this in, then you can be a part of us. We should be a very welcoming people. I want you to train your children. How can your children be inviting? Not just take this upon yourself. Make this a family pursuit. How can you be hospitable, loving, and generous like your God? How can you be a blessing to others? Uh, Elders get particularly stretched in this discipline. I was speaking to a lady earlier this week. And she was speaking about how, well, I don't want everyone to know. She was moving. I don't want everyone to know I'm moving. I don't want to be everyone's friend. You know what I'm saying? And I said, I do. I don't live in that world. I'm a pastor. (laughs) She just laughed. Because a pastor has to be a friend to everyone and love everyone. A Christian, a Christ follower, not just a pastor has to be kind to everyone. No, a Christian, one who has been rescued, is a lover of neighbor. We're going through 1 John in our our corporate reading. Fittingly, John never says, except for the fill in the blank. We're to be a loving and welcoming people. They might need to be carried. They might be outside of your ethnicity or outside of, they might not be Jewish. They might be Gentile or Gentile or Jewish. Welcome and love as your father. 
he mentions in verse 19 the things they the things they are struggling with the things they they are wrestling with will be reversed I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. They were known for being rebellious. Many nations saw them at at certain points within history as weak. We can look back at Israel and say, man, how disappointment. Judah, they kept messing up here and here and here. Look at their kings. Look how they tested Joshua and Moses. But he says, the people of covenant will soon be praised and be known for their renown. He will add value to them. They can't add their own value. He will add value to them. And then in verse 20, another restoration. At that time, I will bring you in, even at the time when I gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth. Then I will restore your fortunes before your eyes says the Lord. The things they have lost, land, vineyard, wealth, health, even their very name, God will restore it. In previous study, I've I've asked myself the question, what's harder to give? Your life for Christ or your integrity? For me, it's easy, life. Lay me down. Kill me for my faith. I say that without having to experience a lot of pain. But the idea of, of, of having to surrender my name, of dying as an outcast, as a reject, seen as a curse, it makes me uncomfortable to say the least. Some of you have lost your name for the sake of following Christ. You're the radical fool. You're that joke. You're that one holy roller in the family. We're living in a culture where we are going to be a punchline to a lot more jokes. But we bear the name of Christ. And that Christ will be visualized by all. How will this be done? Before our eyes. Yahweh is saying to his covenant people, I have made a covenant with you, and I am faithful. And I will save you for my name's sake. And as he does so for his name's sake, he does so with such great love and great joy. I'd encourage you to respond in great love and great joy. And to lean on the assurance that God is sovereign over all things. And to be comforted that he is and that you, beloved, are not. Let's bow in prayer. True and living God, what a mighty salvation you offer your children. Lord, it is beautiful to see how you delight in us. Those of us that have been redeemed, may we respond in cherishing you and celebrating you. Holy Spirit, may you comfort us in our fears and our uncertainties. May you bring to mind 
the promises of our God. And may we have boldness to believe them and trust in him. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.